Hello, history nerds and historians. My name is Christina, and this is F-Top History. This is where we talk about a little tidbit from history that's super fucked up. So I'm going to say now, before I get started, I apologize if I sound like an 87-year-old chain smoker named Ethel, um, because I'm recovering from COVID. So... um, I'm all nasally and raspy, and uh, this is just what we're going to do today. So my uh, son decided to bring COVID home from school, um, and, and, and yeah, so it's kind of knocked me on my ass, but I'm going to stick to my schedule because it's all I have right now. <laughs> so today we are doing another one of the Salem series. The last one we did was the History of the Salem Witch Trials. This episode is just kind of like a continuation of it. Um, I did mention this man briefly in that episode, and this episode is just going to be like a little bit more information on him. This episode probably would have been really good to do during Halloween, uh, and that time of year, but my life does not go to plan, uh, and I'm a spooky bitch year round. So (laughs) today we're going to talk about the curse of Giles Corey. Now there are a couple aspects of the story that are a little like ghost story-esque um but it's important to talk about because it's sort of part of the mythology of Salem if that makes sense um I don't necessarily believe in ghosts nor do I want to like portray the ghost aspect of this story as fact but it's fun and it's part of Salem charm and part of the Salem story and part of Salem history so um we're gonna get a little spooky today So sit back, relax, and practice your, oh good god, what the fuck faces. So Giles Corey was one of the six men to be executed during the Salem Witch Trials, but unlike the others, he was not hanged but we will get to that. So let's go back and talk about him a little bit and what we know about his life um, and not just his execution, which is what most people focus on. And then we'll dive into his possible life after death. So Giles Corey was born in Northampton, England in 1611 and emigrated to Salem at some point, um, possibly as early as 1640. In 1659, he moved to Salem Farms, in Salem Village. So to clarify, in the 1600s, Salem was different than it is now. So you had Salem Town, which is now Salem City. Like if you were to go visit Salem, that's that's what that was. And then you had Salem Village, which is now mostly the city of Danvers and parts of Peabody and Beverly, um, just north of here. It's like a 15 minute drive. Nowadays, I know it as a place where the good target is. But back in the 1600s, it's where a lot of the Salem witch trials began. So you had like Salem Town was very like prosperous. It was the people who were merchants. It was the people who did like ship trading and and all of that. So that's where you'll see like the 1600 style mansions and and all of that, like the the Corwin House and and the like the House of Seven Gables and and all of that stuff. So that was built here because it was a really prosperous area because of the port. The port 
in Salem was actually more popular than the port of Boston for a really long time until the ships just got too big to be able to navigate into the port of Salem. Um, And then in Salem Village, you had the people who were living more like hand to mouth, the people who weren't as wealthy, who weren't as successful, who were doing like sustenance farming um, and all that. So there was a lot of like fighting in between Salem Town and Salem Village, but you could still have people who are prosperous in Salem Village like Giles Corey. So there are people who will who will tell you that because the Salem Witch Trials technically started in like what is now Danvers, that like that's where people should go and they don't understand why Salem City is is the one that is associated with the witch trials. So they'll like try and take attention away from the witch trials and emphasize the other history that happened in Salem. But a lot happened here. I mean, like the main jail was here. Most of the judges lived here. The sheriff that was heavily involved lived here. The 19 people were executed here. So like there was a lot going on in Salem City, not just Salem Town with the witch trials. And then Salem Farms, where Giles lived, was just outside of Salem Village. So they just really liked the name Salem. (laughs) And they just had like a bunch of different cities that were called Salem. So you had Salem City, Salem Village, and then Salem Farms just outside of that. That's where Giles lived. So he owned a lot of land in Salem Farms. It's assumed that he was really, really prosperous, really, really wealthy. He was married three times and his type was women whose names started with M. His first wife, Margaret, he most likely married in England and they had four children together named Martha, Margaret, Deliverance, and Elizabeth. Margaret died in 1664 and then he married his second wife Mary later on that same year which today would seem like suspicious and disrespectful to the memory of the first wife but he had four children and like school and daycare wasn't really a thing so it'd be pretty common for men to marry relatively quickly because they would like take care of the home and take care of their children and all of that Uh, because, you know, that's like all women are. (laughs) They did have a child together named John. And I read that they actually really loved each other. There's actually a ghost story in Salem that is the lady in white who's seen emerging from the area where her grave is, which happens to also be where Mary Corey is buried. And she walks slowly towards the area where Giles was killed. And I do want to say, like I mentioned it briefly, um, I don't really know how I, how I feel about like ghost stories and all of that, especially when it's like, oh, how convenient that these major historical figures that have an interesting and intriguing story are the ghosts who haunt the area and not like Billy who died in 2007 in a car crash or something. So I, I'm very skeptical about like the ghost tours and the ghost stories and all of that. But, you know, that's that's not my market. I'll, I'll, I'll allow the ghost tours to keep doing that because they are very popular and people like them. Um, Mary Corey did die in 1684. And then six years later in 1690, he married Martha Corey when he was like 78, 79 years old. And she was about 70. Uh, they did not have any children <laughs> together. Uh, surprisingly, I don't know, their age is very old. So it was probably more like a marriage of convenience. Um, between the two of them. Martha Corey had just moved to Salem and she was single and she needed someone to like protect her and someone to provide for her. So Giles was rich 
and a seemingly good match. Can't say if he was a good husband because divorce wasn't really a thing, but he most likely did not kill his wives. Uh, he did, however, once kill an indentured servant named Jacob Goodale for allegedly stealing some apples from Corey's brother-in-law. So Giles Corey beat him with a stick so bad that Jacob died 10 days later due to his injuries. Um, but during this time, corporal punishment was like kind of okay when it came to indentured servants and slaves. So he wasn't charged with murder, which I guess was good for him. Because uh, like I mentioned in the Dorothy Talby episode a few months ago, Puritans were very much like eye for an eye, tooth for tooth philosophy. He was charged and convicted of using excessive force and was fined. And, and that, that's about all that happened legally with him with that. But socially, people did not like him after this. The people in the village and the surrounding areas that knew about him thought that he was violent and aggressive. And this is not something that worked in his favor in 1692. So when his wife Martha was arrested, which we already talked about her in the original Salem episode, um, it made things a little difficult for Giles. So brief recap on her. Martha didn't believe that the witch accusations were legitimate. She tried to stop Giles from going to these accusations and felt that there was like really nothing for her to be concerned about because she was pious and well respected. And she felt that there wasn't anything for her to be concerned about even when people were testifying against her, like the young girls. And um, basically, <laughs> uh, the girls were not the only ones who testified against her. So Giles, unlike his wife, believed in the witch trials. He, he actually kind of got like swept up in the whole hysteria of it. So when his wife was arrested in March of 1692, like, like he believed that she could have been a witch. Um, and he testified against her. When she was on trial, he got up on the stand and he was like, oh, yeah. My, my wife is totally a witch. She hides my saddle so that I can't go into town because uh, she doesn't want me to like know about the witchcraft stuff. And like also when we got married, my, my ox and my cat got really ill. They're fine. They're, they're fine now. They recovered. But, um, but, but it was just weird that they got ill. Um, also, she reads a lot. And like what she reads is like very strange. She reads like really, really weird books. And then, and then there was this one time when like she was praying and like it looked like she was praying, but I didn't hear her say anything. And then when I went and kneeled down next to her to try and say my prayers, because I am a good, pious Christian, 100%, I just beat men to death, but like I am a good Christian. Um, so when I was trying to say my prayers, um, the, the words wouldn't come out and they wouldn't. Like I kept trying, but then when she left the room, I was suddenly able to say all my prayers again. And it was really, really weird. I mean, I'm just saying it kind of sounds like witchcraft. And I mean, who knows why he testified against her? I mean, maybe it was him like getting swept up in the hysteria or maybe he just didn't like her. They were only married for like two years at this point. So maybe he was like, this is an easy way to get rid of my wife. Um, he did try to recant all of these stories later on, but at that point, the damage was already done with Martha. She'd already been convicted and just waiting for her execution. And it actually looks suspicious that he was trying to change his story after the fact, like after he went under oath in the courts and all of that. And this is where it didn't really work out in his favor because two weeks after he made this testimony, 
the people in town were like, hey, Giles, how did you know that everything that she was doing with witchcraft, how did you know what those strange books said? Were you also reading those strange books? Were you also praying to the wrong deity by the fire? And like, this is pretty common um, once someone was convicted of witchcraft to then look at like their sons or their husbands or their sisters, like people who were related to them. There was a belief that witchcraft was matrilineal, which I do think like in my, I haven't read this anywhere by any historians who say this, but I do think that that's a little anti-Semitic. Um, to say that like witchcraft is matrilineal because in Judaism, if your mother is Jewish, like you're also Jewish. So they had that belief that like, if your mom was a witch, you're also a witch. So you're going to go on trial pretty much immediately once your mother is convicted. But they would also look at like sisters, parents, they would also look at um, spouses as well. So it wasn't uncommon for spouses to be targeted. So two weeks later, after he made this testimony, uh, an arrest warrant was put out for Giles. Once again, mostly having to do with these teenage girls who were making all these accusations. And then obviously at that point, he kind of uh, like changed his opinion on the whole witchcraft thing and maybe being like, ah, I have made a mistake. <laughs> on April 19th, 1692, he was examined by Judge Hawthorne, uh, ancestor of Nathaniel Hawthorne, and Judge Corwin of the famous Witch House of Salem. He kept stating that he was innocent, but they kept calling him a liar. So every time they would go back and forth, he'd be like, no, I didn't do that. I'm innocent. And they'd be like, stop lying, Giles. We know the truth. We're just waiting for you to say it. And he's like, I am telling the truth. And they're like, no, you're not. And he's like, yes. I am. And they were like, no, you're not just admit that you're a witch because we know we know that you're a witch. And and it just like, kept going back and forth. And the whole time, teenagers were acting like they were being afflicted by him and that he was casting spells on them. And the whole time, like right there in the courtroom, they were mimicking his every move and making it seem like he was controlling them. Then they brought up the testimony that he made against his wife and tried to get more out of him. Uh, and he answered a few questions, but like at this point he just started being over the whole thing and just started not speaking about it. So when they asked him more questions, he just refused to answer. And this went back and forth for a few months in September of 1692, he was put on trial again and asked whether he was guilty or not. And he said, I am innocent and I refuse to say anything else pretty much. But it, it was like a legal tactic <laughs> that was basically like, if I don't say anything, then they can't use it against me. Which when you think about how his last trial went um, is not surprising. But English law and therefore Massachusetts law at the time said that any prisoner who refused to talk could be subject to the pain for the door, which translates to strong and harsh punishment, which translates further to say, we have ways to make you talk by torturing the shit out of you by stripping you down naked, uh, which would have also been like humiliating to the person, especially in like a very conservative puritanical society, laying you on the ground with a board on your chest and slowly piling weight on you until you speak or die. So this is something that like they threatened to do to Dorothy Talby and just the, the threat of that alone was enough to make her talk and confess to everything that was happening. For Giles, he was like, just fucking bring it. Um, it's whatever. Uh, a lot of historians think that he did do this because he knew he was going to be executed anyway, if not 
by this, then he would have been hanged. And if he was convicted beforehand, then like all of his money would be confiscated by the local authorities. So in staying quiet, he died innocent and made sure that his children were taken care of. Um, at least that's the theory. Um, we, of course, don't know for sure what he was thinking or why he made the decisions that he made. But the sheriff at the time named George Corwin was known for seizing money and things that he shouldn't have been seizing from people accused and or convicted of being a witch. Um, so, I mean, it does it does kind of line up. We'll be talking about George Corwin next time. So you'll learn a little bit more about him. So Giles started being subjected to the pain for the door. He didn't die immediately. This was um, over a two to three day period. Little by little, more and more weight was added. And they asked him to confess or submit to further trial. And he refused. This all happened on like Howard Street next to the jail, um, the old city jail that is now luxury apartments. Um, a lot of people say that it happened in the cemetery that's right next to it. But when I was talking to a local historian here, he said that it actually didn't happen in the cemetery. It didn't happen at the jail. It probably happened like right across the street from it because Thomas Putnam had owned a plot of land in that area. And Thomas Putnam really fucking hated Giles Corey. So when the opportunity arose, he most likely was like, yeah, you can use my land. That's totally fine to, to kill a man that I don't like. Go for it. Charles Wentworth Upham, who is like one of the first historians that really dove into the Salem Witch Trials, wrote, quote, it is said that Corey urged the executioners to increase the weight which was crushing, crushing him, that he told them it was of no use to expect him to yield, that there could only be but one way of ending the matter and that they might as well pile on the rocks. While he was being crushed, he was also excommunicated from the church their reasoning was that he was either a witch or by submitting to this torture that he had every means to end by confessing or going through another trial that he was committing suicide. So like either way, he couldn't be a part of the church anymore. So he was excommunicated. Um, the thought of this was like he would go to hell regardless and would have received an imperial rights, which would also lead to him going to hell. So that's fun for him. Eventually, his tongue and eyes started protruding from his head from the sheer weight. And George Corwin stood over him and pushed his tongue back into his mouth with his cane and uh, told him again to confess. He asked him, like, have you had enough yet, old man? Uh, and again, Giles Corey stayed quiet. It said that the only things that he said during this time was asking for more weight and shouting at Sheriff George Corwin, damn you. I curse you and Salem. He died on September 19, 1692. After two to three days of this torture, he was buried in the Howard Street Cemetery, where weirdly, a lot of people there died from being crushed to death. One account that I read said 15% of the people who are buried there were crushed to death. And it is a small cemetery, uh, which is a lot for that area. So it was like people who worked on boats who were crushed under falling masts or uh, crushed under a horse or when like their house collapsed on them during a fire or something like that. So yeah, it was, it's kind of weird that so many people were crushed to death there. So that is the story of Giles Corey. And this is where we now go into the ghost story, like purely speculation and folklore. So the folklore of it is that the curse rang true. <laughs> 
when he said, I curse you, George Corwin, and all of Salem. Because four years later, Sheriff Corwin died of a heart attack, which seems like a pretty typical way to die. But he was only 30 years old. And then apparently a lot of sheriffs after him continue to have issues relating to their chest, which if you think about it, if you're being crushed to death, where is the most weight going to be? On your chest, right? In 1978, Sheriff Robert Cahill suffered from a rare blood disease, a heart attack, and a stroke. And the doctors couldn't figure out what caused this. And he said that the sheriff before him also had a blood ailment that seemed to concentrate in his chest. Uh, And that sheriff inherited the position from his father, who died of a heart attack while he was sheriff. And the sheriff before that also died of a heart attack. So Robert Cahill said that, like, as far back as he could trace, the sheriffs were afflicted with chest problems. And in 1991, the sheriff's office was moved from Salem to Middleton, about 10 miles away. When the, the jail was moved, like, the sheriff's office went with them. And since then... None of the sheriffs have had any blood ailments or heart conditions, which seems kind of suspicious. And apparently the ghost of Giles Corey is seen in the area in which he was executed, especially before and after tragic events. In 1914, a lot of people reported seeing an old man floating in the cemetery wearing 17th century clothing that they believed to be Giles Corey. And then on June 25th of the same year, a fire erupted at the Corn Leather Company, that was located on Boston and Bridge Street, less than a thousand feet from where the witch trials victims were executed. This fire burned for 13 hours, destroyed over 250 acres, left about 15,000 people homeless, 3,000 additional people were left jobless. In today's dollars, it was like $375 million in damages. And then actually just a few weeks ago, there was another fire very close to it, about a thousand feet away from the witch trials monument. So it could just be like with the, I don't know, I'm not someone who studies fires, but like the elevation or like the the location with the wind and, and all of that, like maybe that area is just more susceptible to having fires. But the ghost story is that, you know, Giles Corey causes these things because he's angry about how everything turned out. So perhaps these were all just a freak accidents or maybe it's the curse of Giles Corey. Thank you so much for listening today. Um, If you like what you heard and want to hear more, especially when I have recovered from COVID and I don't sound like an 87 year old person with COPD, please consider subscribing. I put new episodes out as often as I can. I'm trying to do an episode a week for this year. I have a lot of really, really good stories, plans. Hopefully everything goes to plan and hopefully I can talk to you guys every week. You can hear more about what I have to say. If you have a story from history or mythology that you'd like to hear me talk about, please reach out. You can email me at fdephistory at gmail.com or reach out on any of my socials at fdephistory. It's all going to be in the description box if I said that too quickly. Also, please consider subscribing to my Patreon or leaving a review. Spotify actually allows you to leave reviews now. So if you listen on Spotify, you can do that there. Um, You can also do it on like Apple, iPod, uh, whatever, uh, Apple Podcast Network, whatever it's called, Um, or anything else. You can also just keep listening to me. I appreciate every single one of you. So Thank you so much. And remember, friends, history may be watching you, so don't fuck it up.
and don't testify against your wives uh, if they're accused of witchcraft. Like, that's kind of a shitty thing to do. Uh, just, just a little bit. Might come back to bite you. Bye.